Hello and welcome to The Chase. I am your host, Daniel Ocho, and this is a show where I sit down and talk to people who are chasing success in difficult fields, chasing their passions, chasing all sorts of difficult-to-achieve things. Today's guest is Brandon Porcazzi. I am talking to him about opening up a restaurant at the tender age of 24. Brandon is one of my best friends. He is a first-time restaurant owner. We're going to talk about the stresses of opening a restaurant. Uh, we we kind of very often hear from the guy who has 17 successful restaurants across the country who are, is running a chain, and hopefully Brandon has those things happen to him, and he can one day come on and talk to us about that too. But for right now, he's in the thick of opening his first restaurant, uh, the deeply stressful situation that that is, and we, we kind of dig into that. Brandon is also the first guest that I interviewed for this show. He is a tremendous guest, and the interview is here. Thanks. Hello. I'm here with Brandon Porcazzi. Uh, What's going on? How are you, Dan? <laughs> um, so just a little bit how we know each other. You are my childhood friend. We've known each other a long time. Long time, yep. Yep. And uh, the reason I wanted to have you on today was because you're opening a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Curbside Mexican Grill, name of the restaurant. Um, opening in South Hempstead, Nassau County, New York. Um, as you know, I've been working at it since like December and uh, always worked in the industry. So now I'm opening my own thing, me and three other partners. So not totally just me and myself, but yeah. Okay. So basically you kind of know the concept of the show coming on, but the concept of the show is I'm having people on who are sort of chasing success in difficult fields. And I'm not sure that it gets more difficult than the restaurant industry. That's kind of, there's a high likelihood of failure in, in that business. And you're kind of willingly jumping into that. And I think that's very cool. Um, it's sort of a bold move. Uh, so I, I kind of wanted to ask first, how'd you get your start in this? Right. Well, um, like you said, it is a difficult industry. Being 24 years old is definitely not uh, helpful. I don't have the life experience that other people who are older trying to delve into this do. Uh, my start in the food service industry was just uh, in college working as a delivery boy at a local Italian spot and then working my way up through the ranks and uh, eventually becoming a manager. But yeah, I mean, I didn't like fall in love with it instantly. It was more of just a, like a slow burn. I did like the food service industry, and it is a tough industry because it's so competitive. Yeah, you but know, I, but I mean, you're you're 24, so it's like to me, even though it is a tough industry, you you're at like a young enough age where it, you're supposed to take these sort of swings, like where it, it is a difficult thing to do, but it, it says something about you that you are kind of going after it at this age. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly. I had always envisioned my late life goal would be to open some sort of restaurant or own my own business. So, you know, whatever the statistics are, 60% of businesses fail, small businesses. There's so many, you read them all the time. At least I'm going to take the swing early. God forbid we do fail, you know, it's out of the way and I can get on with my life. I know that's not going to be in the back of my mind for 30, 40 years that, oh, I should have opened a spot at some time or tried something out. That's awesome, though. I mean, you're, you sort of recognize that it's better to go after it now than to sort of wait or, or sort of regret not going after it. Um, you said that from like a young age, you sort of envisioned this. Do you come from like a family of like entrepreneurs or is that something your parents did? Uh, yeah. So my, my father, he owned his own, uh, he had a bread truck route. Uh, he delivered Wonder Bread. Uh, he didn't own that. That was just for the company, but he did own his own DJing company, like entertainment, you know, Let's Party, it was called. Local Nassau County company wasn't anything tremendous, but uh, yeah, he was an entrepreneur in that sense. So, you know, and just he, he he raised us with a little entrepreneurial spirit, me and my brothers, my sister. 
selling iced tea at the end of the block, stuff like that. Little things to make money here and there. Um, so yeah, I think it, he definitely encouraged like an entrepreneurial spirit in the household for sure. Okay, I mean, so were you like at what point did you decide sort of to jump in with this restaurant business? Because you weren't necessarily on this path. You you were working in the industry as a manager, as a as a waiter, whatever whatever it was. But you you had kind of gone out of that. So so what was it that sort of made you come back to this? Right. So just a, a brief background for the listeners. Um, my I started like I said in college working in in a restaurant, but I was in college in studying finance, and I received a degree, bachelor's degree in finance. And uh, you know, after graduation, I was looking in jobs in that field, whether it be in New York City, Garden City, whatever, on Lasso County, you know, in Long Island. Um, wound up working at a at Equifax. Actually, is the company. It's a credit union in Garden City. So it's all your fault. Yeah, all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was the leak. I was the <laughs> the mole. Um, yeah, so I actually didn't work on that side of the business. <laughs> just did uh, corporate tax. I was a corporate tax analyst. And that was in until about November. So November of 2018, uh, Equifax closed the whole office in Garden City, which uh, everybody gives me frowny faces when I tell them <laughs> that. But, I mean, really it was for the best because, like they say, it's cliche, but, you know, one door closes, another door opens. And this opportunity with curbside wouldn't have happened if I didn't get laid off. So... Uh, yeah, to answer your question, how did I get into it? After getting laid off, um, you know, two of my partners had the idea originally. They threw it around back and forth. They threw it to my brother, who then said, you know, Brandon just got laid off as well, and he's got a ton of experience in the industry. Uh, he might want to throw his hat in the ring. So that's really how it all started. That, that's very cool. And, and your two partners who sort of had the idea there, they're both already small business owners, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Evan is one of my partners. He's a. Uh, uh, part owner of Avli, a little Greek kitchen, which is a, a Greek spot in uh, West Hempstead. Just opened up another location in Belmore, so they're doing pretty well for themselves. Um, and you know, the, my other partner is Mike, and he owns a personal fitness gym, a training gym, which you know he's had it I think around five years now, and uh, doing pretty well as well. So yeah, they have experience owning small businesses. The fourth partner is my brother who doesn't have any experience, but like me, came from the same household, obviously. So he's got the spirit. So did working with Mike and Evan uh, make that decision to sort of jump into this a little easier? Because making that jump by yourself is sort of its own thing. But when you're sort of with a group, it makes it a little easier to sort of make take that leap of faith, I feel like at least. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right with that. I mean, Number one, I went to school for finance, so having four people share the the risk financially is obviously something that eases the mind. To take the same sort of leap just by myself and risk my own money 100%, you know, that's something that honestly I obviously don't have enough money right now. But even if I did, I don't know if it would, it would take a lot more thought before you jumped into anything. Um, and just from an experience standpoint, they've run businesses. They're both pretty successful in their businesses, so. It's good to have those kind of people on your team. And what we do is we all check each other with our ideas. It's not like, you know, we're, we're all four yes men. When one of us has an idea, we all agree. No, we argue back and forth and we play devil's advocate and we try and get the best out of each other because at the end of the day, we have the common goal of having the best idea for the business. How has it been working with your brother? Because you, you and your brother are uh, notorious real characters. Yeah. You guys you guys bounce off each other, throw batteries at each other, mm-hmm. just like good brothers do. But was that something you, you ever envisioned yourself necessarily working with your brother in that? Because I think, I think it's cool. Not many people have that opportunity or, I don't know, I just think it's a cool thing to be able to 
be able to do. No, absolutely. I mean, people always tell you the, uh, the warning signs. Don't work with your brother. Don't work with your family. It's going to be bad for your relationship. And uh, it's still new for us, so who's to say it's not going to be bad for our relationship? But I don't think it's going to be an issue because me and my brother fight, and we fought for the last 24 years of my life. Um, but it's fine. Like, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're brothers. We, we argue. I have you guys sometimes. You know, my friends will see me and him arguing. And uh, they'll be like, yo, oh, my God, you guys were at each other's throats. And I was like, what? That was like a conversation. That was just normal for us. That was not a big deal. So uh, it's definitely an odd relationship with us. And, I mean, we make it work. Yeah, no, I mean, I, mean, I think that's cool. I think a lot of people have relationships like that, even if they don't necessarily, like, start a business with their brother. But, right. So uh, I was listening to an interview with a restaurateur. Uh, I think the guy's name is Will Giardara. And he, he kind of came up through the ranks, similar to the way you did. He was like a busboy, waiter. Then he went to manager, and I think his dad was in the restaurant industry. But he was talking about how once you're a busboy, you just have the perspective of a busboy. Then you move to waiter, and you lose that perspective forever because now you just think about things as a waiter. And, and then you move to manager, and you just think of things like you're a manager. Do you feel like you're already starting to lose that perspective now that you are a business owner? Or if not, is there a way that you're trying to keep that perspective uh, going forward in the way you manage your personalities at work? Um, I don't think I would lose that perspective ever. I mean— so, so for me, when I started at the Italian place in college, it was because I actually had poor grades and I was unable to go back to college for a semester. So as a sort of self-punishment, um, I worked there maybe 55 hours a week to start. <laughs> you say self-punishment? Self-punishment, yeah. So that, that was your way of, of doing what exactly? When, um, when you say self-punishment, I, I mean, I want to like dig a little deeper into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was just me. I was, an, I was a dumb freshman in college and I fucked up, let my grades slip had like a 2.2 GPA for two semesters, Yeah, lost all my scholarships, couldn't afford to go back to school. So that was me like telling myself, you're a fuck up. Now you have to work 55 hours a week as a delivery boy, which is like, I mean, nothing against delivery boys, but it's not the most glamorous job, obviously. <laughs> the union is already calling the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but doing dishes in, in the Italian place I was working at, and that's actually a memory that I'll take with me where so you're saying that, am I going to forget it? No, I'm always going to remember there was a moment when I was doing dishes and I literally stopped and I thought to myself, while I'm elbow deep in grease and grime and people's old food, that this is the punishment for not doing the right thing, which was to get good grades and to study and, you know, do good in school. So, so no, I'm not going to forget that, that perspective and I'm going to try and remember that going forward, even being a business owner now. So you, you say it was to punish yourself. I, I don't think that there are a lot of whatever you were, 18, 19-year-olds who, who think of it like that, who are, who are like, I, I fucked this up. I'm going to make myself pay. I, I need to learn a lesson from this. Is that something that, that you still do, that you've always done, sort of like felt responsible for yourself? Or was that sort of a turning point for you where now you're like, listen, like I need, I'm, I'm an adult now. I need to take care of, of my shit. Like I'm, I'm answering to myself now. I'm not in school anymore. I need to work my ass off to get back at it. It was, it was definitely, definitely a turning point because, like I said before, I don't even look at myself as the same person I was before that uh, whole year or year and a half where I, I wasn't going to school and, and working because that was just a stupid kid who, you know, I graduated high school, senior year, coasting through, last year of school, I was partying, having fun, then go to college and kind of just kept the party rolling, but, you know, not going to class if I didn't feel like it, no one, there's no teacher checking in on me. Yeah. It's just it, stupid kid shit. Everybody, yeah. a lot of people do it when they go to college, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely was growing up when all my friends are talking about how they're in class, and I'm like, 
yeah, well, I'm delivering pizzas from 12 to, to 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, it's not the most glamorous, like I said. Yeah, but I, I, in the end, like you said, now now you're back in the business, and, and you sort of stayed there, and now you carry that perspective going forward. And I, I think that'll be valuable to you even as you go through this sort of chasing this business thing. But you, you went back and got your degree, so how did how did that happen? How did, that, how did you get back to school? Right, so like I said, I was trying to punish myself um, in my in my own mind. I sort of gave myself the punishment of the fifty five hour work weeks, uh, scrubbing dishes. But it's not like I didn't learn anything from that punishment. I, you know, made amends with myself, and I said to myself, you know, I'm gonna go back to school. I'm gonna get my grades up. I, I couldn't afford to go back to Adelphi. That was the university I was previously going to to private school, and as most private schools are, they're expensive. So I went to Nassau Community College. It's a local college that is a lot cheaper. It's also a fair bit easier, not knocking Nassau Community. You know, I had great classes there and everything. It was good. But I worked my ass off. I had a different attitude. I had an attitude where I'm going to school. I want to learn the material, not going to school just to say present and, you know, check off the mark on the attendance sheet. I wanted to learn. I wanted to leave with something. So I actually, I went there for one year after one semester off from Adelphi, went there for a year, got my GPA up to a 375, um, and then I transferred back to Adelphi, um, got a small, but, you know, a small, but helpful transfer scholarship. It wasn't the scholarship that I had coming in as a freshman, but it was something, it was enough to make me able to afford to go back. So I did get my undergraduate degree from Adelphi, so Sort of came full circle, started there, left, went to Nassau, came back, got my degree, and now I'm actually getting my MBA at Adelphi again. Do you hold a grudge for them taking it back, or, or do you just like internalize that that whole thing? Because I feel like a part of me would be like, fuck you, Adelphi. Like, even though I understand that it necessarily wasn't their fault, but that I feel like that's a reasonable response. Right, no, so uh, I wouldn't say hold a grudge, but they could have handled it better. <laughs> They're not a person, obviously. They're like a, a, a school, so it's not like they're handling these on a case-by-case basis. They have you know, a set of rules that they have to adhere to, but um, they could have handled the notification of letting me know that I had lost my scholarships to begin with. So my big issue with them, it was before I started at the Italian restaurant, it was maybe January 15th of whatever year, 2015, 2016, I don't remember. But January 15th and the semester, spring semester started on the 20th. They told me on the 15th that I no longer received, I don't know, upwards of $20,000 in scholarship money. And I was going to have to pay that out of pocket. So, so you're saying you don't hold a grudge. I mean, that's like insane. They, they're telling you five days before the semester starts. That's like a, a major life moment. Like right. I don't know what, I don't know why that, that's their policy. But my response was pretty obvious. Well, I can't go here. Um, so I can't afford an extra $20,000 in student debt. Um, so I tried to scramble and get into Nassau that semester, but it was too late to even register for Nassau classes. So I was left with no other option than to take the semester off. And that brings us to the point where I said I worked 55 hour weeks. How, how did you keep your head up kind of at Nassau? Because like understandably for for you, you like had the scholarship to Adelphi. And now you're going to a community college, and you're you're for you. I, I can understand why one would feel like, how did I end up here? So how did you kind of look in yourself and and just 
say I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this. I'm I'm going back to wherever, whatever school I want to go to. I'm gonna kill it. Simple as that. Honestly, just went to class, paid attention, did not daze off in the middle of the lesson. You know, took great notes, studied for every exam, did the things that students are supposed to do. And, um, and you weren't before. I wasn't before. No, I would daze off in the middle of class. I would. I would drive by the school, and if I can't find a parking spot, I'd just go home. Like, <laughs> but, stuff but, like but that. But it's, it's good that it's probably like unusual that someone can be doing that kind of, kind of shit and then look back at it and say, like, this is where I was fucking up. This is where I was making the mistake. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it's, it's definitely good to do. If, if, I think if you can't diagnose your own problems with yourself, if you make mistakes, that's an issue. You need to be able to correct your mistakes because— what do you, how are you going to improve yourself as a person if you don't? I, I definitely agree with that. And, and I feel like a lot of people are sort of, they're looking around. Only, only, it's only when other people point out what they're doing that they sort of get the, that giddy up, that giddy up and kind of do what they're supposed to. But the fact that you were able to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and be like, wow, this is, this is not who I want to be and sort of turn that around, I think speaks to your character. Yeah, I mean, not to uh, not to get up my own ass too much, but at the end of no, the day... No, it's okay. You're already up there. <laughs> at the end of the day, if you don't keep yourself accountable, who is? I mean, you can't rely on your your parents or your brothers and sisters to keep you accountable because they have their own shit they're, they're dealing with. And you know what I mean? It's like eventually your parents have to cut the cord a little bit. So in high school, maybe they did keep you accountable and they made you go to the practice and they made you do this and that. But when you go to college and you, you know, you're 18 plus, like you're an adult, you got to start worrying about yourself and improving yourself. Was was that a difficult moment for you to to like tell your parents when when you did lose your scholarship? Because I, I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean that that's like almost they didn't. What was their reaction? I guess they didn't want to necessarily punish you, but uh, disappointment, and that's probably the worst case. I mean, I would rather than be angry. Yeah, the disappointment was there um, because. They also think I'm a bright person, so they were like, how could you let this happen? You know, what were you doing in class? How did you let your grades slip like that? And I've always had great grades in high school, but that's high school. High school is a lot easier, and it doesn't require as much effort. So that's what I was thinking when I went into college. So yeah. disappointment was the the driving factor for their, for you know. Yeah, how they reacted. But That was I, their reaction, yes. Yeah, so I mean— it's it's good though. I mean, obviously that's a low po- that's a low moment in almost anyone's life. But the fact that you were able to kind of turn that into something positive by killing it at Nassau and getting back to mm-hmm. uh, Delphi speaks to your character. Like I said, right? Yeah. I kind of wanted to ask a question about in terms of like menu construction. So I know you guys are like you're putting together this restaurant. Something that's always kind of interesting to me is the process of putting together a menu because while there can be like sort of a lot of day to day work that's like put your, like you said you're laying down brick. The process of putting together a menu is very much it's very much its own beast. It's it's almost like an art, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know we haven't. Uh, so right now, at this current date and time, we don't have our menu finalized. And uh, people have been saying like, "Oh, I love the pictures of you know the walls. I love the floor. It came out great." But where's the menu? Where's the menu? And like we have we have tackled it. Like we have tried, and we're we're kind of taking steps to complete it. Right now we have a concept, uh, and I kind of do like it. I'd like to share it. Our concept is, so obviously the name of our place is called Curbside Mexican Grill. So we want to have almost a division in our menu. North of the curb, south of the curb. Similar to north of the border, south of the border. But 
that's a little risque at the current political uh, climate. So wow. we didn't want to say border in our in our uh, menu. So we'll call. Is there it a curb. wall in between your? <laughs> no walls. No walls. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> um, so so anyway, north of the curb is going to be more. You know, we're going to have it split: tacos, burritos, salads, quesadillas, appetizers, and they're going to have that for both north and south. North is going to be the Tex-Mex, more Americanized versions of these traditional Mexican cuisines. South of the border is going to be very traditional. You know, if you were in Mexico, what you would order on the streets in a cafe, in a in an eatery in Mexico. So where, where does this idea, like, come from? Like, you personally haven't put together a menu before. No. So I know Evan, your partner Evan, has mm-hmm. probably put it together. So is there, like, is it just like a... You guys sat. You guys sit down and say, "All right, tonight we're putting together the other menu. These are these are the ideas we're kicking around," or or is it just like, "Okay, did you or so you or someone else come in and just be like, this is this is the menu that I kind of drew up on my own?" Well, well, actually, Evan didn't have prior experience putting together the menu for Avli. He was uh, he became an owner of Avli after, so they originated in Bayside, and he was a manager there. When they expanded to Nassau County, is when he became involved with the ownership part of it. Okay. So they had already had a menu. They had already had a system that was going. So this is new to all of us. And uh, the way we did it, first thing, first step was just a very general rough draft menu. Whatever you think sounds good in a, in a taco, in a burrito, write it down. Let's get it on paper. Let's, let's, you know, sort of mind meld and let's talk about it. And then we started going, you know, well, a lot of these places are called Tex-Mex. What does that mean? Tex-Mex is the fusion of Mexican food and you know, uh, Southern Americanized version of Mexican food. So we said, how can we even more define our menu and split that up? And that would be north and south of the border or north and south of the curb. <laughs> wow, pretty risky. <laughs> Better put. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's just, so we want to almost have a, a very clean line between it. If you feel like eating fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and, you know, bacon, then you're going you're gonna to order from north of the curb. But if you want rotisserie pork with cilantro and white onions chopped that's going to be a south of the border item so we want to sort of cater to everybody because there are a lot of Tex-Mex fans in the United States especially in Malloy College a lot of college kids do like the Americanized version of Mexican food so that was our goal with creating the menu right now like I said we haven't finalized it but this is our sort of the, the box that we're putting ourselves in to create the menu and it's not finalized either. We might wind up going with a generalized, you know, four divisions, tacos, burritos, quesadillas, salads, and not even have a north and south of the curb. But that's our ideas right now. Uh, but I, I think that process is sort of, it's an interesting process to hear for someone who's like never put together a menu, which is, I would guess, most people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it, it is sort of different from a lot of the other stuff you do within the restaurant because right. it, it's sort of like a creative process where you're like, this goes here, this goes here. And even the minor differences could cause quibbles within the deciding structure it's it's nerve-wracking too because at the end of the day i could lay the bricks on the walls perfectly the tiles on the counter could be mint but if the food isn't good we're fucked we are not (laughs) going to be successful and if the menu is confusing people aren't going to know how to order that food so it is the most important process in this whole thing and it is uh definitely nerve-wracking to tackle but we're we're doing it day by day and we're just creating little goals for ourselves to sort of bring us along that path Okay, so now I kind of want to transition. Uh, what's something you never get to talk about that you, you get to talk about here? Just, I'll give you a minute. You can go off on anything you want. Sure. Um, 
so coming from the food service industry, something that people who have never worked in the industry before can't really relate to is um, the fact that like we are trying, uh, we are trying to make your your you know dining experience as pleasant as possible. We want you to enjoy your food. We we are not out to get you. We are not out to have you pay for your meal and then screw you over and you hate it and whatever. Goodbye. See you later. No, we want you to enjoy the food. We want you to enjoy the experience of dining. And, you know, especially during busy times, it happens where customers are upset because, you know, something goes wrong. And we don't want that to go wrong either. We wa- we're like working. We're trying to work with every customer on a case-by-case basis. So that's it's almost a sort of a PSA, I would like to say, to any and all people who dine at restaurants or go out to eat is just sort of understand that we are trying to cater to you. Like, that is our goal, at least for, you know, establishments that I've worked at. I can't speak for every establishment. Maybe some don't have the moral standing as as loyal as what I'm saying. But, you know, I, obviously the goal of Curbside is to deliver the best experience. We want you to enjoy your food. We want you to, you know, enjoy your time when you're dining with us at our place. It's an honor to have you and, and for you to spend your money on our food. That's you know, that's a testament that we, we have good food and good service. So we want you to be happy and we want you to walk out the door satisfied. So the next question I want to ask was, at what point did you reveal that you were doing this? You were working on this project to people? Because when people are working on these kind of like grinding in the dark kind of things, I'm always interested to see how close to the vest they hold it. Because a lot of times uh, there's this like whole psychological theory that when you tell people you're something, like if I, if I tell you I'm a, I'm a screenwriter or an author – I'm not necessarily going to work as hard to to do it. It, It'll sort of, because you think of me in that way, it doesn't necessarily, it hurts my drive to do that. So uh, that's just something that's always interested me. At what point did you reveal it to to people? So actually, how you mentioned that, um, I find the same way if you tell people that you're going to go to the gym that day. So say I tell you, you know, I'm going to the gym at 7.30, I can't hang out later. Yeah. And then I tell my mom, I'm going to the gym at 7.30, I can't hang out later. Yeah. And then seven comes around and I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling kind of lazy. They already think I'm going to the gym. Whatever. It's just as good as a workout. Um, but to answer your question more directly, we kind of started throwing this around in about November of 2018. Right now we're in, what, March 2018. So uh, I would say we probably, I probably announced it to my friends. My family obviously knew about it, but to my friends, I didn't announce it until like late December. So about a month and a half in. And Honestly, the only like hard line was that we had spent too much money to turn around. <laughs> I was honestly waiting to make sure it was 100%. I didn't want to tell anybody, you know, we're going to make this restaurant happen and everybody get excited. And then it's a little embarrassing if it didn't happen. So, so I'm, I'm curious, what were, like, what were the reactions from the people around you? Because I know generally people react with excitement. But if, if you're doing something that makes people uncomfortable, like and opening your own business is one of those things. Uh, people, there are going to be people in your life who are sort of rolling their eyes. They're like, oh, what? I don't know. I don't know. And like in those moments, how did you necessarily react to that, that eye roll moment? Um, honestly, the reactions were good, positive. Everyone's excited. A new place to eat. One of, their, one of their good friends is opening it. You know what I mean? They get to hang out. But the reactions from my family and closer friends were not as positive because they're the ones that are actually looking at it for my own well-being. So my, my family, obviously, number one, worried about the money that I'm putting up to risk. Number two, worrying that, you know, am I going to get along with my brother? They don't want it to ruin my relationship with him down the line. Yeah. Number three, um, they're worried about just, you know, the success of the business, all the statistics. Everybody hears it, that small businesses don't 
don't always work out, and most of the time they don't they don't work out. So uh, the third thing is really uh, I, I did catch a lot of flack from my parents, and that was just because, namely, we have four partners. It's a lot of partners in a small business. It's going to be hard for everybody to take home some money. Um, but yeah, and then just being parents, parents worry about everything. So. You know, it was mixed a mixed bag of, of uh, reactions from everybody, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it always is with, with stuff like that. Like I said, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, that's the reason you're on the show. It, it, you're chasing success in, like, a there's only so many successful spots in the world. So parents are, are going to be worried. People are just going to be worried for your well-being. I'm sure nobody necessarily wants you to fail. It's just, right. like I said. Um, so I'm curious, kind of getting into this, is there someone, like, within the industry that you look to as sort of like a, a model of how you want to operate? as a manager or just like as an entrepreneur, it doesn't necessarily have to be within the food industry. Um, so within the food industry, I would say it's not, there's not one certain someone, but more of a combination of all my past bosses. Okay. So like anybody, I mean, like anybody should, you should take the good and the bad from people that, you know, work above you. And if that's multiple people, you know, you don't want to take all the good things and leave the bad ones on the table. So I've had many managers. I've worked at a couple different uh, restaurants or food service places, and you want to take the good qualities. You want to leave the bad ones, like I said. So, uh, so I wouldn't really name anybody in specific. Um, if there was like a fictional character, I'd like to carry myself as. I'm sure you're familiar with The Godfather. Uh, <laughs> like to carry myself as a Michael Corleone, <laughs> somebody who was uh, who was he sort murders of, people. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna kill my own brother. <laughs> But uh, someone who, you know, was just sort of thrust into a role of responsibility and just ha- that's how I feel almost. You have to react to this responsibility and, and sort of command respect as well. Ryan, if you're listening to this, buy a gun immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go on the boat, Ryan. <laughs> Don't go fishing. So, so now you've sort of been in this for a while. Uh, what do you wish more people kind of understood about, like opening a restaurant um, or just the restaurant industry in general? Cover your bases before you start. There's, there is so much more work than we kind of entailed. Um, I wasn't ready for it, but you know I'm trying to rise to the occasion. Uh, between the four partners, the three of them are very busy with their full time jobs, so a lot has fallen on my shoulders. I don't mind doing a lot of the, you know, a lot of the work to get us ready to open, but it is a lot of work. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of government agencies that, you know, the. Nassau County Department of Health, the Buildings Department, the uh, Hempstead, you know, Town of Hempstead, Village, whatever. They, they all want, there's different regulations to follow and different regulations to fit. And uh, everybody wants money for this and that. Yeah. So just, I would say, you know. Well, you are Don Corleone, so, or Michael Corleone. <laughs> you can take care of it. No, well, I mean, like an overall encompassing thing, I would just say before even thinking about starting your own business, maybe get everything on paper and get every all the steps from literally from the beginning to opening it might be 150 steps but write it down and just figure it out get it on paper i mean i feel like in something like that even even if you have everything down you can't necessarily anticipate everything so is that is that something that like your so your partners have have opened small business before are they sort of less kind of were they sort of less caught off guard in terms of the things that have arisen or were they just equally like kind of flat-footed um, no, no, they were definitely, uh, they, they kept me and my brother uh, level-headed with that stuff that it's going to happen. Things are going to come up where, you know, you weren't expecting it. 
just an example, you know, we're trying to get uh, an extension put on our hood, not to bog you down in the technicals of it, but... No, we want technicals here. This is the official <laughs> Restaurant Hood podcast. Well, yeah, the Restaurant Hood podcast. Now we have to put a ladder on the side of our building just because the town wants us to, and it's going to cost us, you know, upwards of $1,000. So little things like that it really started to bug me, but my partners just kind of brought me back down and said, you know, this, this happens when you're trying to open a business. There's different regulations and stuff you have to do just to to get the doors open. So how has this whole experience changed the way you eat out? Are you are you sort of less critical or more critical of places that you're going? Like you, you understand now what goes into being a restaurant or you're just like, these guys are schmoes. What, what are they doing? Definitely, definitely more critical. Um, <laughs> so I, I find myself looking more at how they laid out their menus, uh, you know, what POS systems they're using, what kind of takeaway containers they have, little things like that that, even when I was working in the industry, I didn't really notice because I didn't care. But now that I have to make the decision of, of using, you know, whichever products we're going to use in curbside ourselves, I find myself noticing all of that stuff. And on an even different note that I wouldn't have, like that stuff you would have expected because that's what, you're, that's what I'm dealing with every day. But on a note of stuff I wouldn't have expected is like, I just notice things as far as like, you know, how is that counter built? Or like, how did they how did they lay the tiles on these walls? Because I have been doing a lot of the physical tile laying and, and yeah. stuff like that at the store just to try and uh, keep the costs down. Uh, so I've laid the tiles on the counter myself. I laid the bricks on our wall myself. And I find myself noticing things like that and thinking, you know, I wonder how they did that. But, you know, I'm not some contractor. I'm just, <laughs> just trying to open a restaurant. So I got kind of bogged down in the weeds there. So have you reached a point at any point throughout this whole thing where you're sort of like I'm in over my head have you have you felt over your head because I feel like a lot of people when they do these these sort of things and a lot of people will talk to you on the show are in the early stages of something they'll sort of feel over their head or they'll feel like they're hitting a brick wall and that's sort of a moment where they're like all right fuck it I'm, I'm just gonna go through it anyways I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to burst through the wall go around it whatever you have to do but I, I just feel like that's a recurring theme so I wouldn't feel like I'm in over my head but uh I would I would say overwhelmed and I've been overwhelmed many times in this process. Um, but, you know, you have to have a certain, like, irrational confidence in order to just do these, do, to try and go for something like this. Because if you're not confident in yourself, like, in your own abilities, like, I'm, I'm positive that I can meet whatever, whatever issues I run into, I can meet with my partners and we can overcome it. If you're not confident in that, then you probably aren't cut out for it, to be honest. Because um, that or you got to surround yourself with people who are confident in it. Because if you're not going to, tackle anything that comes at you as far as any issues like the you know like the stupid ladder thing that i was just talking about you're, you're really pissed about this ladder <laughs> yeah i mean it just happened yesterday that's why it's fresh it's a fresh wound still um but I, i'm glad you kind of brought up that that idea of irrational confidence i f- i feel like that is a recurring theme or it will be a recurring theme among the people i'm talking to. you're you're the first person i'm talking right about, so. yeah honored yeah no <laughs> thank you for your service um so I think that is something that's going to come up because a lot of these people are kind of like you doing something that doesn't have a, like, it's a difficult thing to succeed in, but they're doing it. They believe in themselves. They're, they have this sort of irrational confidence themselves to work in the dark sort of without outside validation at a lot of points and just still keep grinding towards it. So are, are you always kind of working now? Like even, even when you're going to other restaurants, are you just thinking about everywhere you go, how can this do something for the restaurant? How does this like, how can I bring something from this to the restaurant? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, number one, the phone never stops. Like, I, I have my cell phones ringing for something or other, or I'm checking my email and seeing if 
so-and-so answered me with a proposal for using their systems or, you know, anything like that. But as far as just taking things from other restaurants, yeah, like we're going to steal <laughs> a lot of ideas. If I see something I like, like, you know, you do something fun and, and different on your menu and I think it'll work in curbside, then I might take it and, you know, put a twist on it to make it our own. Because at the end of the day, we want to have as much business as we can. We want to be a cool place. We want to have, you know, fun with our, our place as well. That was a that was a goal we actually all agreed on in the beginning. The four of us sat down and, you know, like Evan, who has made successful restaurants already, Evan said, let's have fun with this one. You know, there's four of us. We have a good group of guys. Let's try and uh, keep it light and have fun. Is it still fun? I, I mean, obviously that that's a goal. But in, in anything that people do, like there reaches a point where you, you sort of lose the forest for the trees where you're, you're kind of in the thick of it and you're like – that fucking ladder's costing us a thousand dollars. Yeah, and that that's obviously not fun. But like, are you still able to find fun in it, or or do you, you are you so, so in the thick of it that you just you kind of feel like at the at the end when you are in the restaurant, it's open, there are people ordering food, that that's when the, the fun comes. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, the mirage in the desert right now of <laughs> of me seeing that vision of it being open and and being crowded and and the four of us there are just smiling, looking at each other, but. <laughs> It wow, hasn't happened romantic. yet. Yeah, <laughs> not romantic. More, uh, it's a fantasized version of of uh, curbside. But, but yeah, I mean, we've lost the fun a little, or at least I have a bit. Um, but that's just because I'm so busy. It's I think that's not, normal. I, yeah. I think that's totally normal. To, I, in in something like this, I, I think that it's difficult to keep the fun when you're sort of in the grind of of doing the day to day work. And I, to to me, at least, it, it seems that being a professional in in one of these sort of fields, these sort of difficult to achieve things, fields is going to work when you don't feel like it like you're you're chasing something so it requires that sort of kind of kick in the ass where you're like fuck but whatever you you find the fun when you're done right yeah this wasn't this isn't the fun part like i knew this wasn't going to be the fun part going in the fun part like i said is going to be when we open and when we're hopefully busy and you know there's a lot of customers and people are writing reviews on our food and they love it and they say the atmosphere is great like that's the fun part seeing everything kind of culminate but this is the part where it's stressful and it's hard work and, you know, you kind of just kind of got to put your uh, put your foot on the pedal and keep going. Even like you said, there's mornings you don't want to wake up at 8 a.m. to let Joe Schmo in so he can fix <laughs> something. But you got to go do it because everybody else is busy and, you know, it's just got to happen. Falls on your shoulders. You, you just handle business. You got to be a businessman. So I, I know it's part of sort of the research for this and you, you kind of alluded to this a couple minutes ago. You, you went to a lot of fast casual Mexican restaurants across mm, town. Yeah. So what do you think that the biggest difference between the ones that, that work and that don't work is, that, that you noticed at least in your in your travels? All right, so uh, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's called a food service industry for a reason. Those are the two biggest factors. It's food and it's service. You have good, if you're good in one, so if you have good food and bad service, you might still get some customers. If you have bad food and good service, you know, you still might get some customers. The ideal is to obviously have great food and great service. So that's what I try and pick out from these places. Like, I went to a place the other week, um, not going to name names, but the... Expose them. Nah, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> wouldn't do it. Because uh, I hope no one's going to expose me on a pod in the future. But we went to a place and uh, food was phenomenal. Amazing. Service was okay. Uh, presentation was not good. And the menu was pretty confusing, which was a, a, a big takeaway that I had. Um, I actually literally took away one of the menus, showed my partners who weren't with me, and said, you know, this is an example of what we're not going to do when we make our menu. But 
that's just an example of one fast casual place that I visited. You know, like you said, I've been visiting a lot. And, you know, I try and take away things that work and things that don't. So so what's a day look like for you right now? Like in, in the midst of this, setting up this restaurant, set to launch in whatever a month is. Like just kind of walk us through, like you wake up in the morning, you're opening the, the door for Joe Schmo, the ladder's falling off the building. Um. <laughs> right, so uh, right now day to day is basically um, I wake up in the morning, uh, I either go straight to the store, but if I don't go straight to the store, I go to the couch, grab my laptop, and I start to do work that, you know, is not physical labor. Like I will start emailing people that need to be responded to regarding, you know, if we're purchasing, we just recently purchased all of our equipment in the kitchen. And that was a big to do. I had to go back and forth a bunch of times uh, with the company who provides them, figure out shipment, figure out delivery, all that stuff. Uh, and usually like today, I meant to go to the store, but right now it's four o'clock and, uh, you know, I got stuck on the computer until now. So didn't get to the store today. Usually when I wrap that up, I'll go to the store. I'll do odds and ends as far as, like I said, I was laying the bricks myself, laying the tiles myself. Uh, there's a lot of steps in doing that stuff, so it takes some time. <laughs> You're a bricklayer. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a manual laborer. But, so, but uh, yeah, so so those are the, those, that's the daily grind lately. Um, and I'm, out, I'm actually also trying to get my MBA at the same time. People might, <laughs> you might think I'm crazy. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. So, so why? I'm not, not that like, there's obviously value in your MBA, but... Why were you like, I'm opening a restaurant. This is this is a good time to, to get my MBA. <laughs> well, uh, back when I was employed at Equifax, uh, this was my plan going forward was, you know, January comes around. That's the spring semester. I'm going to go back to school. And they're, they were going to pay for a part, portion of it. So that's really the part that sucks about getting laid off is they're no longer paying a portion of it. But, but yeah, I didn't want to deviate from my plans just because of this. Just I say just because of this as if it's trivial, but <laughs> but no, I I mean I, I think that, that that speaks to something because now you're you're sort of engaged in these two very very hard things to do at, at once, mm-hmm. and the fact that you decided you were like I'm just gonna tough this out, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna walk away. Like I, I think that says something about how you feel both about the business and about the importance of getting your MBA. Yeah, honestly, I I kind of just told myself like. Fuck it. If you punt a year of your life, not punt it, but you know what I mean? You don't have maybe as much of a social life and you don't see your friends as often. That sucks. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's an investment of your own time and your future. So, you know, all I referenced before all the statistics, 60% of small businesses fail, 80% of small restaurants fail. Well, the MBA is a backup in case we do. I mean, I don't want to, knock wood, but at least in a year, I'll have my MBA. I can go back into the finance field if that's what, you know, if that's where my life takes me. At least it's a, it's an option. Do you do you see yourself like like doing that in in the future? If it, if at any point, just now, I'm not saying like right. anything about the the future of curbside, but now that you've sort of gone down this path, you, you've sort of you've been a manager and a small business owner. You're you're gonna, you're going to be in the next couple of months. Um, do you feel do you feel like sort of in love with this? day-to-day business thing i know it's difficult to say now because you're really in the uh you're not really in the honeymoon stage yet no no but i do understand that like so uh so evan tried to sort of relate this to me that he recently went on a vacation um so he works i don't know 50 hours a week at Avli, probably more uh he recently went on a vacation somewhere in the caribbean looked real nice from snapchat but uh (laughs) but he recently went on a vacation he said by like day four he was like, all right, I got to get home. I got to get back to my business. Like I'm, he's calling people like wondering if the chicken got ordered that day. <laughs> so I do sort of see that. And like he said, it becomes your baby and you don't want to leave your baby. Um, and I do see that because 
if I, like I said, my daily routine earlier, I do that every day, seven days a week. It's not, I don't get a day off, but it's not a big deal because I'm, you know, I'm working at my own leisure. There's no one cracking the whip on me. But those days where I do take, you know, a Sunday, maybe I just kind of relax on the couch. I feel like, wow, I really should go back to the store. Like, I'm, you know, I got stuff to do. I think I should get there tomorrow early. Yeah. So this sort of plays into my, my next question. If you had enough money where you never had to work another day in your life, what would you do with your time? If I never had to work another day in my life. You had that much money. Uh, probably travel for okay. like a good portion. Like obviously not forever, but I would probably travel for like, I don't know, five years. Just like seeing the whole freaking world. Uh, if I could afford that as well. And um, Yeah, there's endless money here. Endless money. So yeah, definitely travel. Um, and then eventually, you know, you're going to have to work unless you're a fucking freak. Like you, You'll be so bored not working, even if with all the money in the world. So, you know, I think this is honestly the type of industry that would be so much less stressful because you wouldn't have to worry. Are people going to walk in? Like, am I going to get enough customers to stay afloat? Fuck it, man. You just like make nice meals and have whoever does come in. <laughs> they'll have a good meal and if they don't come in whatever you're still filthy rich so i i mean i i think that also sort of speaks to how you feel about the business and sort of how you feel about chasing this restaurateur dream because you're you're now saying that you literally if you had all the money in the world would just be running a restaurant you, you wouldn't care you wouldn't have the stresses of the the day-to-day necessarily yeah but you, you'd still be here you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think that sort of speaks to how you view the whole thing right honestly i and i, and I try and think of other jobs I damn sure wouldn't be working in the finance industry because that is a high-stress industry, uh, anything with corporations like that. But something like low-stress and honestly working, like being a manager, it is low-stress. It's high-stress at times when you're busy and when customers are irate. But it's all that's all stress that comes from money because these customers are paying for their meals. So that's why they're so upset. And, and me as a manager or now going to be as an owner – I want to give them what their money's worth. I want them to enjoy their meal. I want them to have, you know, I want their service to be phenomenal. Like, don't get me wrong. But if there wasn't that money aspect, I didn't have to worry about the money, then their service would be phenomenal every single time. And, like, if there was any problems with their order, it would be free. And, like, it would be so much fun. <laughs> so you're just, you're just giving everyone free food. If I was rich, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? That's, that's a very nice, it's a nice dream to have. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're, we're going to start wrapping up here. But so mm-hmm. what does success look like? For you in this um so success for curbside would be our, our goal and you know we haven't set a timer on ourselves or anything like that but i would say like five years from now if we had three to four locations a so curbside at every corner a curb <laughs> a curbside at every corner i kind of like that i might <laughs> i might steal that cut this. um but yeah we we want to have you know almost be all over nassau county that's our main goal for you know the next five to ten years um we haven't really thought more beyond that but out of my own opinion if you know we branched out from different states like that would just be incredible that seems so unobtainable (laughs) right now but you know maybe you franchise or something like that having a franchise would be insane and there's the 0.0001 percent that we're like the next chipotle so that would be fucking cool too so i i mean you, you say, I mean, there, it is like a small chance of, of that happening, obviously, but I guess like in order to, to do what you've been doing or what you continue to do and like to grind at it, going to work, uh, you kind of have to be able to tell yourself that story because even if it's like there's a small chance, that that's how that's how people go on, like how, how people continue doing these things because right. 
Otherwise, like, what what are you going to work for? It's like we're gonna have a curbside at every corner because mm-hmm. that that's why I'm getting up at eight o'clock and letting Joe Schmo in. Um, so I also want to ask if you could send a message in a bottle to yourself, like five years from now, that that you're like something you you're experiencing now, something you feel now. What would it be? What would you say to yourself that you don't want yourself to forget? You don't want yourself to lose sight of that's as, a you, tough as, you, one. as you go uh-huh. through life. Message in a bottle, five years. Okay, washes up ashore. What's in it? Um, well, there's a message. There's a message from <laughs> me. Uh, it would probably just say, well, five years. We hopefully we have multiple locations. It would say, don't forget all the work you put in for that number one spot for that first for that first store, uh, and how hard it was, and all the work that came with it, and and you know just not to forget where I came from. And hey, if we don't succeed, don't forget all the work you did and how, and you should be proud of it, anyways. Regardless of success, yes or like we, you know, we make a lot of money. We don't make a lot of money. Either way, I should be proud of the work that we're doing and the the place that we put together because we did put together a nice place. And you guys haven't seen it yet, but I think everybody's gonna like it. So that's the goal. That is great. Yeah, that, that's awesome. No, I'm I'm glad. I think that was that's a very good one. Um, yeah. So in five years, you have to listen to this podcast and talk about it. Yeah. No, and I hope your podcast has a zillion views and or listens, not views. Um, <laughs> And uh, I'm the first guest, so I guess I, I, I guess nice. you'll be the first listener. We'll, we'll talk equity years. after this. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up and talk. Uh, talk. Uh, what's the word? I don't know. I think equity. I think you know. No, fuck, whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say royalties. Royalties. Oh wow. Yeah. No. We'll, we'll talk. Well, in five years, you'll probably be like the first listener. So. <laughs> um, all right. So thank you for coming on for the first episode. Yeah. No. This was a, a lot of fun. I would definitely come back. Okay. Thank and you. I will come back. Wow, and pretty presumptuous. Update. Pretty presumptuous for you, if, to, for you to invite yourself back. To the well, I'm not begging. <laughs> so I'm not going to. Well, ask. you're going to have a curbside every quarter. Now I'm not going to. I'm going to call your publicist to get you back yeah, on. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm going to have somebody. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. All right. Thanks, right. then. That was Brandon Porcazzi. Uh, curbside Grill opens when? When is it open? Uh, it's going to open hopefully mid-April, maybe May. We'll see. Okay. So Springtime. I'll, I'll be posting this around the time that it opens, and it is a fast, casual Mexican restaurant. And where is it again? It's in South Hempstead, New York, uh, about two blocks from Malloy College. So if you're a student, come on by. We're going to be getting on the meal plan. So you can use your lines points or, you know, just pay cash. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you to Brandon for sitting down for the interview. Thank you to Anthony Salvaggio for allowing us to use his studio space, Robit Studios. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find the show. Also, you can subscribe and you'll receive the new episodes every week. Please join us next Thursday for our guest, Carl Gann, who joined us all the way from Singapore. Carl is a video game writer and screenwriter. He writes games for Ubisoft Singapore. And he was kind enough to join us and talk about his career in writing in general and what it's like to be a writer in Singapore. So thank you guys. It was a great interview. And talk to you next Thursday. Bye.